sermon for my series that I'm going to be preaching next Sunday morning, but uh, I have been heavily bothered over the years with certain things and uh, questioning God, Lord, I need some answers, I need revelation, and some of the things that he has revealed and showed over the last few weeks in studying for this has been mind-blowing, and I pray that, you know, I hope uh, that if anybody comes to try to see me spit, holler, and snot, and anything else like that, you know, I can't guarantee you're going to get that, but I know the Holy Spirit he can do his thing, and we liable to see that. But this will be a very informative, a very instructive uh, series that is going to teach us um, how to mature in Christ. Um, but one of the things that we deal with in the church that I read about that's really bothering me is Jesus did not say that the church or my house is going to be a house of fellowships even though that will be a part of it. He didn't say that my house is going to be a house of events. He didn't say that my house is going to be a house of activities. He didn't even say that my house is going to be a house of preaching, even though all of those things are part of it. He never even said that my house is going to be a house of song and worship. He said my house shall be called a house of prayer. That is the most important thing that the church be is a house of prayer. If you ever remove prayer from the house, you have removed the possibilities and the capabilities of the maturing in Christ to be able to see the Spirit of Christ move in each and every one of us the way that we read He should. And then another thing that has baffled me as I got into this study is how often I went through seminary and never took one class or heard one lecture given on what the kingdom of God is. But all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is kingdom this, and the kingdom is like this, and the kingdom is like a coin, and the kingdom is like this, and wheat and the tares, and the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. When he says when you don't know what to pray, pray this, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then we come to church and we don't know what the kingdom is. It's not just this imaginary club that we have, that we walk around and say, kingdom kids. It's not this imaginary club. The Masons are an imaginary club, the secret society. The kingdom of God was never meant to be a secret society. The kingdom of God was never meant to, just to, to be hidden in the backdrop somewhere. Then when you get saved and when you fit in with the right crowds, then you'll know when the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is something that should be preached. It is something that should be dwelt upon. And that is what this series is going to help us become is kingdom-minded, kingdom-believing, kingdom-calling, kingdom-opening. We're going to be a church, amen, by the end of this thing, I believe, that when we just make our minds up and we pray, we're going to knock a hole into the sky and what is in the invisible is going to become to the visible and we are going to see the actions of the Holy Spirit manifest, amen. But we've got to have a praying people. A praying people, something that we're doing on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday night is we're coming together and we're doing a devotion and we're praying. We're praying. If someone needs prayer, we'll pray, but you don't have to, you can come in, you can lay on the floor, you can lay under a pew and pray. You can walk around the service and church and pray. You can walk around the property and pray. You can, you can play at your own risk. You can go walk the yellow line and pray on the road. But I, you know, we are not just, we're trying to make it as, we're not trying to put any kind of boundaries or a bunch of formalities on this. We are trying to produce a relationship, an individual relationship with God. Because if, if everyone has an individual relationship with God, then when we come into the house of God corporately, and I don't, there I went, I lost myself. But we come into the house corporately and with individual callings and with individual relationships with God, and we come together corporately. How many understand that when I walk through these doors on Sunday morning, I can't determine the magnitude of God you're going to experience? Look at your neighbor and say, I can't determine the magnitude of God you're going to experience. Do you realize I can't determine how anointed you're going to be? The Bible says that we are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. 
So if I had the temple of God living on the inside of me, if I had the Spirit of God living on the inside of me, and I'm, I, I, like I said, I'm flirting a little bit with next week's service, but I'm building the foundation. with God, amen. And I'm going to go ahead and address something real quick just in case people don't understand. We are a Pentecostal believing church. We believe in the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Spirit. We ask that the Spirit be moved. But one thing that I will stand behind and I will request and that I will even demand if you can come gifts of the Holy Spirit, as in prophesying or speaking in tongues or gifts of healing, gifts of miracles and things of that nature. If you're going to give out a message in this church, be willing to live behind the message you speak. Don't just prophesy and start the whole service to give a message that you're not going to live behind yourself. Well, and I'm talking about come to the altar. Amen. Sometimes we all need to come to the altar. It ain't just for everybody else to go to the altar when that message comes. Sometimes it's for us. Amen. Our message is such as watch what you say about the leader of this house, and then you run out the door and make a phone call about the leader of the house. Amen. You're playing with fire, and it is important that if we are going to be a praying church, we have got to be a unified church that understands the gifts and the ministering of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Moving on, the magnitude of, that, of God that you are going to experience in a church service is not based on anyone else but you because you bring him to church with you. So the magnitude of the time you spend with God throughout the week is going to determine the magnitude of God you get when you walk through those doors. And if I bring my anointing and you bring your anointing and this one brings their anointing and we come together into the house of God, which is the church, I, I want to address this. There's a lot of people out there that says, I ain't got to go to church. I, I'm saved. I'm, a body of, I'm part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. All right? The word church in the Greek is ekklesia. All right? The ekklesia can't be one person. The ekklesia is a group of, of assembled people together. In other words, I am a child of God, but I'm not the church until I get with other children of God and we come together in fellowship and we come together to pray and we come together to see the ministering of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. So the magnitude of God you're going to experience is going to come with what you do with him during the week. But as I'm leading into this series... As I prayed because I knew I, did, I wanted to hold off because I knew we was going to be missing quite a few people today that I know wants to be a part of the series. And I, I chose to, to hold off so that they can be here. The Lord, I felt like, gave me a warning for me to give to the church. But not just a warning, also a declaration of your liberty and freedom. A declaration to tell you that everything's going to be okay. But how many understand that when the enemy sees you progressing and taking ground, his first steps is to create a counterattack that will keep you from moving forward. So he sees that Northwoods is about to do something. Northwoods is about to go somewhere. Northwoods is about to possibly radicalize this community with prayer. He's going to try to get in the way of that. He is going to try to stop that. So for the next few moments of this service, if you're watching online, this goes for you too. For the next few moments of this service, I'm going to change every one of your names. And I even believe that I have, what time is it? I believe I have enough time to go to each person in this room and tell you what your new name's going to be just for the next few moments. Can I do that? All right. Your new name's Peter. Everybody. That quick. Everybody. Your new name for the next few moments is Peter. Look at your neighbor and say, nice to see you, Peter. Thank you for coming to church. All right, amen. So good to have Peter with us today in service. But in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, which is also Peter, Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you 
that he may, don't, go, don't change it yet, that he may sift you as wheat. So now I want you to make sure that the Peter beside you gets what you're saying. Say, all right, Jesus just told us that the devil desires to have us, that he may sift us as wheat. Ask your neighbor, say, did you get that? Now look at your other neighbor, the one that wasn't as important because you didn't go to them first. Look at your other neighbor, the second choice, and say, did you get that? That he desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Next verse. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Next verse. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison, don't change it yet, and to death. Now look at your neighbor and say, Peter, are you really this brave? Are you really this brave? Jesus just told you what's going to happen, and you telling Jesus, no, what's going to happen. Next verse. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast denied me three times. I just put it in your terminology, because Christ would have threw everybody off, you would have missed the message, and you'd have still been going home like, all right, how can I use that in a sentence today? You know, I want thrice pieces of chicken strips. I want a thrice piece chicken with mashed potatoes. So y'all have been messed up for the rest of the day. So he said, before, the, the chicken's not going to crow until you have denied me three times, Peter. Will you stretch your hands for me? Pray for me as I pray for you. Most wonderful and gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide this message today, Lord, that you would help it resonate within each and every one of us, that we would become vessels for you, Lord God, that would give you honor and glory. And, Lord, I ask you today, God, that you would utilize this message to create a foundation for us to stand upon, understanding that though the winds may blow and the seas may rise against us, Lord, that the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God will lift up a standard against the floods, God. Lord, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus. Help us take this seriously, Lord God, to where we understand and we know, Father, that we are going to make it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and say, we are going to make it. Amen. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on the subject, refined or the refining. To be refined in the fire, to, to be refined or to go through a refinery or the things of that nature. It's the kind of picture I want you to picture in your head as we're going through this. But I want us to be very careful not to read this like a history story. I want us to be very careful that we don't read this <coughs> from the judgment standpoint. And we're sitting there like, Peter, did you? That's why I ask each and every one of you for the next few moments, let me change your name. And you be Peter. Let this be a conversation between not just this once, once in a lot, this once way back then, Peter and Jesus, but let this be a relationship and a conversation between you and Jesus. Because I promise you, the fact that you have chosen to walk with Jesus, the fact that you have stated, I will not deny Christ, the fact that you have stated, I will serve the Lord, that me and my house will serve the Lord. The fact that you have took a stance and said that I will answer the call. The fact that you are here this morning or would be here watching online this morning. The fact that you have put in any effort this morning. You have said, like Peter, I will go with thee even unto death. But how many understand that just like Peter's life, there are going to be things that happen in our life that is going to challenge what we say we believe. And Jesus even knows they're coming. And that's why he's giving us the forewarning. He's telling each day, okay, you've got a vision. You know you're about to go somewhere. You know you've got a reason to be here. You know I didn't just put this, this feeling inside of you. I didn't put But the enemy is going to do everything in his power to keep you from getting off the runway. He is going to keep you from, he is going to try to keep you 
you from, from ever laying the foundation. He is going to try to keep you from ever putting the walls up. He is going to, some of you have been building and you've been pressing in and you have been pressing in and you've got a nice building, but it doesn't have any insulation and it doesn't have any power yet and it's not ready to move into and it's not ready to ship off and it's not ready to be served in yet. And, and the enemy has got you at the brink that you're ready to quit and give up. Jesus told you it was coming. He said, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. He, might, he desires to have you that he might sift you as wheat. In other words, Jesus, if it was in 2022, Jesus is sitting here and he's got Peter. And they're down at the local subway and they're sitting there eating a sandwich. And Jesus is looking at Peter and he's like, yeah, man. This is after the conversation about who's the greatest among them. And Jesus is like, you know, this and that, about, about who's the greatest. You don't even know. You, you, you're, you're thinking on this level. I can't even make you comprehend on this level yet. Um, but while we're here, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. Who is this Peter? This is the same Peter that when everybody else in the boat, the same people that are arguing who's the greatest, this is the same Peter. He says, if you're Jesus, bid me to walk on the water. While everybody else stood in the boat, Jesus, or Peter walked on water. This is the same Peter that would launch his boat out into the sea because the Jesus requested him to do so. He didn't agree. He didn't see any purpose in it, but he obeyed. This is the same Peter that said, I will go with you even unto death. I don't believe Peter was ever lying to Jesus. Peter just didn't know the extent of power that he was intermingling in. He had not been filled of the Holy Ghost. And he thinks he's just, he can handle Pharisees, but he can't handle the devil. He needs Jesus. So when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, he's like, no, 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 I'm not going anywhere without you. I will go with you even unto death. And they come in to get Jesus from the garden. And the Bible says when Peter saw it, he pulls out his sword and he cuts the ear off this soldier. And Jesus says, put your sword away. That's what I'm talking about, Peter. This whole issue, when, when Satan came to me and asked, could he come after you and sift you? He asked for my permission, and you just proved why you need to be sifted. Because you're acting in your emotions and not in your spirit. You are acting off of what you feel versus what I need you to be. I am calling you to be a disciple. I am calling you to be an apostle. But you're still dealing with the same mess you once was. You've been, you've been saved from it, but you're still struggling with your de deliverance. And Peter cuts his ear off. He tells him to put it up and he heals the man's ear. Peter is following them back to the city. And he gets to the city and he's standing off in hearing distance of Jesus. And there's cold and they're standing around the fire. And they're heating up their hands. And this little girl looks up and asks him, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And because he didn't want any attention brought on him and he wanted to see what was happening, he wanted to be able to stay around, it was innocent. He just said, I don't know him. Jesus heard him. Here's once. I will never deny you, Jesus. I'll go with you even unto death. Well, I hadn't done that. I never said I didn't believe in Jesus. Have you ever told someone that you love the Lord God, that you're going to change something in your life? And then when it came time to answer for it, you didn't remember saying it. You didn't remember doing it. Have you ever said, I'm going to commit to something, and I'm ready to do something, and I'm ready to serve, and I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to trenches? You're standing with Jesus. But when Jesus is being persecuted, and if you get the same results he gets, it's going to hurt. So you decide to tell yourself, it's innocent. When we go into prayer, the problem we have in prayer today is, is a conversation is called a dialogue. But if I do all the talking and I don't let you speak, that's not a dialogue. That is a monologue. There's only one speaker. Prayer is supposed to be a dialogue. 
the reason the churches are struggling to pray, I'll even say it like this. How many has ever heard of a prayer conference? How many has ever been to a prayer conference? How many has ever seen red books on praying yourself through or praying to overcoming victories or praying to this and praying to that? Do you know why there's a, ne a necessity for these things to happen? It's because we can't find the answer. We can't find out what is going to make people pray. And I've discovered an answer. I actually read and listened to a guy that brought something to me, and it just blew me away, and I had to go look it up. And I was like, that's amazing. This is what he says. He said, you want to know what's going to make people pray? He said, when the people praying see results. He said, but the reason that people are praying and they're not seeing results is because they don't understand how prayer operates. I'm getting all into my next week's sermon. I've got to try to get out of this thing. I'm going to leave you with this nugget right here, and I hope, it, I hope it intrigues you so much, and I hope you can't sleep all week, and you just can't wait to hear what i got to say next week. I'm just kidding. I hope you sleep great and wonderful. That way, when you come in next Sunday, you're rested. But I hope it bothers you to the point i got to know. Do you realize that there is a protocol to your praying? There is a way that you are to approach the throne room of God that you might obtain mercy and favor. He says, come boldly before the throne room of God. But all throughout the Bible, the heaven, the kingdom of God, the heavens are referred to as a courtroom. And here we are, church folks, walking in there, and we look like we're at the stimulus check line, like, I can't afford my bills this month, and I could get approved for disability, and Lord, I'd like to do this. And then here is your prosecutor on the other side, who is called the accuser of the brethren, standing before the throne like he did with Peter. If you'll let me sift him, he is going to deny you three times. If, if you'll let me get to Job, if you'll let me touch Job, I'll make him curse you, God. He's standing in the courtroom as the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor, and here we are over here, instead of being boldly before the throne room of God, that we might obtain mercy and favor. Jesus has already said, if you'll come into the throne room, I will give you mercy mercy and favor. If you'll come into the throne room, I've already given you the verdict and the victory. It's already yours. But will you keep coming in like a whipped puppy dog and you keep coming in like you're lost and battered and confused. You're coming in here like a lawyer who's never been to law school. Jeremiah chapter 9 says, and the court stood and the books were opened. Come boldly into the throne room of God. There's a, we are encompassed by, by so, such great a cloud of witnesses. The jury. Everyone, he, even in this very text, if you'll go back just a little bit in Luke chapter 22, he said that way you'll be seated in the, in the seats judging the tribes of Israel. Judging is a courtroom terminology. We have got to come into the courtroom of God, and we have got to know how to come into the courtroom, and the Bible tells us how to do that. Believe it or not, people can't understand that because a very simple thing. We've gone from being a disciple influencer to being a soul-saving influencer. You're like, what's the problem with that? There's no problem with anybody ever getting saved at church. But the church should be here according to Scripture for all of my people that's like, he got a problem with saving souls. And he's like, I just don't feel like that's right. I just don't feel like we should be doing that. I just don't feel like we should be going over here. And I don't feel like we should be going over there. Well, I'm glad you feel. But let me tell you what Scripture says. Scripture says the church should be here to equip, not the lost souls. The church is here. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. In other words, when people come through the doors, we should be able to take the time to disciple them and to create apostles and evangelists and prophets and teachers and pastors. But the reason we can't do that is because we live in a culture where it's the church leadership's job and responsibility to figure out how to save souls. But salvation was never limited to the temple. Salvation was never limited to the altar. 
Salvation was never limited. Yes, they had to bring the blood of atonement, but that was so the blood could be shed. But once Jesus paid the price, the blood was shed for all, for all times, anywhere that you are. So in other words, people should be getting saved in the cubicle next door to you. People should be getting saved in the backyard next door to you. People should be getting saved in the in the aisle next to you at the grocery store. People should be getting saved in the roller coaster line. Amen. At Valdosta. People should be getting saved at the hot dog stand at a Braves game. People should be getting saved when you get together and have a Super Bowl party. People should be getting saved when they call you and you should just say, it's a beautiful day to be a child of God. How may I help you, sir or ma'am? Whatever the case may be, that's where salvation takes place. And if the church would do that, then on Sunday mornings we would have discipleship opportunities to where we could them the kingdom of God is so grand and so great and God's will is for it to be established in this earth. But Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Man, if we had everybody sitting on these pews that's ever been here, listen, not everybody that's not here now is bad. Not everybody that's not here now is doing something they shouldn't do. Some people have left for ministry purposes. Some people have left for for what their family needed in God. And listen, that is okay. But not everybody who's ever left has left for the right reasons. And that's not just this church. That's any church. Every church I ever left, I didn't leave for the right reasons. I've told y'all the story about how I had to call a pastor five years after I done left and apologize. Since then, he had done got another church, and he was at a different church, and I had to call and humble myself and apologize because the Lord convicted me five years later of what I'd done to his heart that day by my actions. I still pursued ministry. I didn't leave and say, I'm going to go, you know, do all the dope and drugs and cheat on my wife. and all No, I left and went into church, back to another church. And I went on to serve in ministry for three years. But in a five-year span, one day on my way home from work, I had to call that pastor and apologize because God wouldn't let me release it from my heart and kill him with it. And I got freedom immediately once I spoke with him. So not everybody that leaves, leaves for the right reasons. If you had everybody sitting on this pew that's ever came to this church, that's ever gotten saved in this church, these walls wouldn't hold up. Not just since I've been here. I've been here five years. And just the people that's been here since I've came. That's gotten saved in this church. If you had every one of them still here, still serving, still walking out that calling, you wouldn't be able to hold them in this sanctuary. We'd have to have multiple services or another building. The reason we don't is because when people step out into the water, ankle deep, and they're like, ooh, this wasn't so bad. I can swim. You can swim. You know what happens in ankle deep water? body is exposed to the world. And if you don't ever go deeper, it ain't long before you turn around and step back out to the water. And it's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. People have to come in there to make the commitment up front. I'm here for the long haul. I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. Now, I'm not saying to grow up and be like me. You are here to learn about Christ, how to grow up and be who Christ calls you to be. But you've got to understand that it doesn't matter that you've known Jesus for 20 years. Peter has known Jesus for three years. You say, well, that's not that long. All right, knowing Jesus for three years is like knowing me for three millenniums. What Jesus did in three years, I can't ever imagine to happen. The Bible says that if all of his works would have been written down, the books of the earth wouldn't contain him. Brother Bill done a wonderful job in the devotion last, the last Wednesday night Bible study we had. He done a devotion, and he, because he's been to Israel, he was able to share with us about the valley of the shadow of death that Jesus passed through on a daily basis to go to his prayer. He would walk through a valley of lepers every single day, and Brother Bill got to put his eyes on that. Sister Ch- uh, Chell got to see that with her eyes. The valley right outside the gates, full of lepers. Jesus would pass through that to go to his prayer. As a matter of fact, when he prayed in the garden, he was led through that valley to be judged and later crucified. But anyhow, to walk in the Lord or to know the Lord for three and a half years, Peter had seen more than any person could ever imagine seeing. And now Jesus is standing here looking at Peter and he says, Satan, I desire to have you. He might sift you as wheat. Listen, I don't like to, like if my kids come in, like when I play sport or talking about sports, I have my favorite teams and I'm going to defend them. And 99% of people do. You, you know, not 
nobody is a 100% true, honest fan. They might truly be an honest fan of their team, but nobody is a true, honest sports fan. Because there's always going to be favor for the team that they like. The two teams can do the exact same thing, and one of them has an excuse, and the other one is wrong. You see what I'm saying? Am I the only one in here that's willing to say we do that? Come on now. Ain't nobody in here like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm a Georgia fan, but, you know, Georgia just gave away this and that, and they shouldn't have done that. We don't do that. We're Georgia fans. We're like, boy, we the bomb. We do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do all this. We up and down. We great, whatever. You know, see, I'm picking on Georgia. Y'all to be quiet. It's the same thing in this situation. We get prideful about what we think we know when we really don't know at all. And nobody wants to ever go three years walking with Jesus and look at Jesus and say, you're right, I'm going to fail miserably. And I'm not saying you should walk around saying you're going to fail. But you should always know that it don't matter if you've been walking three years with God 30 years with God, 300 years with God, it doesn't matter. As long as you are walking in this earth and in this corrupted flesh, you possess the possibility, if you are not prayed up, of failing God at any time. And as a matter of fact, Satan, when you do follow God and you are obedient to God and you're doing what you're supposed to do, you become the target of the enemy. That's why he goes and calls you out by name in the courtroom. Let me see if Peter. Why Peter? Because Peter was the one on the mountain when he saw Jesus transfigured and he heard the voice of Moses and he sees all this stuff and he hears all these things happening. He was the one that says, let's build a tent. we got to stay here. That's the Peter. And they're worried about who's the greatest among them. I don't think that Jesus looked at any of them and said, he's greater or he's greater. But I will say, you think Jesus don't have favorites? The Bible tells me that there is none greater than John the Baptist. But even the least in heaven is greater than John the Baptist. But the reason Jesus don't look at you and I and judge us by our works to be who's better and who's not is guess what? We all have access to the least in the kingdom of God. Which means if we got access to the least in the kingdom of God, we've got access to the greatest in the kingdom of God. But even if we only had access to the least in the kingdom of God, it's greater than anything on this earth. Amen? But nobody wants to admit that we might fail. Because we don't want to speak that over our lives. We don't want to speak that stuff in our lives. The Bible tells us the power of life and death lies in our tongue. Let me show you just how we kind of get scripture misconstrued. The Bible says that power and death lie in our tongue, so we like don't we can't speak that over our lives. Speak those aren't things that aren't as though they were. Again, there are protocols to prayer. You can't just say what the Bible says in one spot without context, without having taken knowing how that, that that scripture actually works itself out after living a prayerful life. Okay. We can't just go in and think things are going to be because we heard it preached one time. You have got to come to actually know this thing you call faith. And it takes going through a process. He says, even though I don't believe Jesus would have picked a greatest among them, I believe that the enemy, because the enemy is the exact opposite of Christ, I believe that he picked Peter because he saw Peter was the greatest. Again, Peter's the only one that walked on water. Peter was standing there, cut the man's ear off. And honestly, the Bible says, strike the sheep, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Honestly, Peter is the only one that didn't just run in fear. He ran in shame. But he didn't run until this word was fulfilled. He followed Jesus to the city. He followed him there, and he denied Jesus. And then a little while later, somebody asked him again. He said, no, I do not know this man. Now it's becoming more than just a little lie. Now he is completely changing his identity and who he once was in Christ just a couple of hours ago. And then that third time rolls along, and they ask him again. And now the old Peter 
burst back up on the scene. The Bible says he called down curses on himself. He started cussing people out. He started acting a fool. And then his eyes met Jesus. And he remembered. Before the chicken crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. You know, that if you close the book right there, that is a depressing, depressing sermon to be preached. That is a depressing amount of scripture to read. The good news is, is there's no amen right there. The story goes on. As the musicians make their way this way, Peter denies him and he runs in shame and he runs in fear. And I don't know the space, the amount of space or the amount of time in that window that may have passed by. But somewhere along the line, I have to believe that Peter remembered the rest of the story. For Peter, when he met the eyes of Jesus and that chicken crowed and he remembered everything word for word that, that Jesus said just came true and I just denied my father. I just denied my eternity. I just denied my Savior out of fear. I believe that at that point the book closed for him and he thought that was all. Have you ever been to that place where you feel like you've messed up so bad or you've let go of too much or you've, you've, you've been out for so long or you've gone too far that you feel like the book was just closed on you and that's it? I'm here to tell you that if you'll get in your prayer closet, the story didn't end there. As long as there is hope in the body, as long as there is breath in the body, there is hope. And somewhere along the line, Peter began to remember the rest of the story. He began to remember that wasn't the end of the book, that was the end of a chapter. And the new chapter was about to begin. And he, and he began to remember, okay, I've I, I seen Jesus. He told me I was going to fail him and deny him, and that happened. But he said something else. He said something else. He said that he has prayed for me. So I intercede. What did Jesus say? He said that he would go and intercede on our behalf. He is seated at the right hand of at the Father, interceding on our behalf. Peter recognized, I have an intercessor. Jesus told me, and I know that Jesus' words come true because everything he said happened. And he said, I, I remember he told me that he has prayed for me. He has prayed for me that my faith fail not. But I feel like my faith has not just failed, it is deceased, it is gone. I feel like I've gone too far. But Jesus said he knew what was going to happen, and he prayed for me that my faith wouldn't fail me. And I can imagine that the attitude of, of Peter changed because he was no longer living in it was too far, too much. He'd done too far. Now he began to re revive his hope. And when his hope started coming back, he started asking, okay, he said that he would pray for me that thy faith fail not. And when I am converted. So now Peter knew I got a task. I've got something I got to do. Jesus gave me instructions. He told me what was going to happen and it happened. He brought me back through his praying. I came back in prayer. I've got my hope back. But now I got to do something. I've got to search my conversion. I got to seek my conversion. I can't just sit back and say, okay, Lord, do the rest. That's the problem. It is the process. If you want to be refined, it is a process. And you've got to go through the process and the protocols. You've got to go through this thing. Yes, your salvation comes in an instant, but to be your peace, to take your hope. And he's even going to be successful at times. But if you'll remember the words of Jesus, I have prayed for you. Don't forget who I'm talking to. What's your name? Peter. Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, you mean to tell me this man walked three years with Jesus and he wasn't converted? You know how many unconverted Christians we got in the church? Because conversion ain't salvation. People are saved. And listen, that is the ultimate goal is to see lost people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the supreme thing is that we become priests 
in the kingdom of God. Nobody puts a crown on a baby. He has to be raised up. Well, what about Josiah at six years old? Go read history. Go get in that a little bit. Don't nobody take the kingdom and put it in a little baby's hand. But the kingdom can come through babies. I want you to catch that. God didn't take the kingdom and put it in babies' hands, but the kingdom can come through babies. Peter had to seek his conversion. And he goes, walks around. What did Jesus say when he rose from the dead? Go tell him. Or what did the angel say? Go tell him he is risen. Who does she want to go tell? The disciples. But see, Peter was still a little bit down. Peter said, I go a fishing. Peter said, I didn't act like I used to act. I might as well do what I used to do. And he went back fishing. But there was a word given to Peter that he would see him in Galilee. The same place out the boat. The same place that Jesus said, throw your net on the other side and the nets broke. They were so full of fish. The Bible says that Peter was sitting on the boat. Probably reminiscing over the time he had spent with Jesus. Probably laughing a little bit about some of the things that they cut up about. I believe Jesus cut up. Jesus was fun to be around. But I believe Jesus was a true friend. And that's why he only kept 12. Because when you're a true good friend, a lot of people ain't going to stay around you. Because a good true friend is honest. A good true friend says, nope, that project don't look good. A good true friend says, I don't like your boyfriend. I don't like your girlfriend. As long as they're doing it in the right heart, with love, a true friend can be honest. And another true friend can be honest. True friendship can't be broken like that. Jesus, I imagine Jesus was a good friend. They've cut up, and I imagine Peter sitting on this boat, just reminiscing. But then I imagine he's keep dropping back. Like he starts getting happy, and then he realizes there's guilt and there's shame. He's not supposed to be happy. Jesus was crucified looks out there and he sees somebody sitting on the beach and he's got a campfire going. He's probably got some of the best red snapper you could ever have. Some grouper, you know, some cobias, some saltwater trout. Just on and on and on. Maui Maui up there on a platter. Jesus, how do I, I need to be converted. What do I got to do to be converted? Conversion ain't something you just do. It's something that happens. Peter saw Jesus on the water, and he said, if it be you, bid me to walk to you. And he walked to him. Can I take you somewhere real deep right here? He said, bid me to walk on the water. And he said, it is I, come. And Peter got out on the water. But this time, he looked out there, and he saw something that looked like Jesus. He didn't ask no questions. He just dove right in the water, and he swam to the beach, and he got on the beach and realized his buddy, his friend, his Savior was in the flesh, sitting right there before him. His conversion had happened. All because he went from being somebody that needed proof to somebody that had faith. But even conversion is a process. Because in Acts chapter 2, they go into this upper room. The Bible says there came a sound of as a rushing mighty wind. And the Holy Ghost tongues of fire filled the room and sat upon them and they began to speak in other tongues. I think we should be quiet in church. I think we should be dignified. I think we should look like we got some sense. We don't need to look like all these crazy hypocrites. I want you to tell me something. Electricity had not yet been invented. There was 
no sound system. There was no speakers. There was no microphone. They were so loud in the second story of that building, the upper room of that building, that people walking down the street said, what is going on on the inside of that? That they are so loud, and I hear them talking in my own language. They got to be drunk up there. They got to be having a fool. It sounded like a party going on in the upper room. But we come to church, and we sit back, and we just wait on service to go by, pass us by. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Don't get me wrong. I am Pentecostal to the root. And I believe in a good tongue-talking, prophetic, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, working all these things. I believe in all that working. But the purpose of our service is that we might come and we might pray. Because it don't matter how much you talk in tongues if you don't know who you're talking to. Amen. Because the Bible tells us that when one talks in tongues, he's not talking to man. He's talking to God. So if you're going to talk in You'd be understanding you're talking to God. You make sure that what you say is in line with God because you're talking to the one that has the right to, to bring you into the kingdom or to cast you into utter darkness. I'm not speaking against it. Listen, I'm a tongue-talking preacher myself. I have the gifts of speaking in tongues. God has used it. But the Bible says in a service it should never be more than two or three times. And we got folks walking the door every time the spirit gets to move and they got to do it. The Bible says that the purpose of this service is to edify and to exhort. That is to build the congregation up and to comfort them and to give them hope and to push them in. And if we will do that, if we will edify the church, he said, I would rather that you prophesy than speak in tongues. Because prophecy is to men. And it builds them up. But then, I'm going to go ahead and make sure for all them that don't speak in tongues saying, yeah, that's what I said. I don't got a tongue talk. I, no, but then he said, I wish you would all speak in tongues. He said it would benefit every one of us if you would speak in tongues because you would be talking to God. You would be able to get in the realm that is unseen. Do not put your eyes on the things that are seen. We all want to prophesy because you can see it, but you don't want to get in the unseen realm. That's where tongue talking takes place. It's getting in the unseen realm and seeing those things that are unseen, to, that are, are, are eternal, brought into the temporal, that are seen and become fruitful. That is why we have the gift of interpretation. Because I'm gonna shake this bush right here real good. People like to prophe people like to quote that scripture about prophecy in tongues. I'd rather you prophesy than speak in tongues. There's an unless in that scripture. There's an unless. He said, unless there be an interpretation, then it is of the same as prophecy. All right? Look at your neighbor and say, that's good teaching. Because I didn't know that. But if you knew that, don't say that. I have to go back and study this stuff over and over and over because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to teach it wrong. But you've got to pay attention to the unless words. Because if we are ever going to be refined, we have got to know the word of Jesus. Peter was probably be telling himself and the enemy whispering in his ears just like he did with Judas. Judas got so crazy he went and hung himself. Then the limb broke, and he fell on a rock, and he busted. I imagine the same devils that was tormenting Judas's mind was tormenting Peter's mind. When Peter done something Judas didn't do, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. And you know what the word of Jesus teaches us? Do you want me to tell you that you want me to tell you what makes a good Christian? I read this this week and I loved it. You want me to tell you what makes a good Christian? It's not just loving Jesus. A good Christian is not just someone to one of A good Christian is not just one of Judas, the one that would betray Jesus. You worship Jesus, you follow Jesus, but you got to love Judas still. You still got to love him. You gotta pray for his soul. Anyway, I got on a little rabbit trail there. That conversion, though, in Acts chapter 2, the fulfillment 
his conversion. He comes out. 3,000 people heard him preach. So do you think that he stood at the pedestal and he said, Brethren, we are gathered here today in the name of Jesus to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. No. 3,000 people at least heard him preach the word of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and him crucified and got saved that very day. And this is one thing I always love to say, and I'm going to close it right here. As strong as Peter was to get out that boat and walk on water, as strong as Peter was, as a matter of fact, Peter was a believer and wasn't converted. He says, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say you're Esau, some are Isaiah, some of you say you're this. He said, well, who do you say that I am? He said, I said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, no one told you that was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. This is the only instant in the entire Bible where there is a revelation given straight from the Father to man without going through the Son. Think about that. This is the only time because the Bible says that when Jesus died, He went to be our intercessor to send us to His Spirit to comfort us. So now we get revelation through His Spirit because He's interceding to the Father. Peter is the only documented revelation that we have of a man receiving revelation from the Father. Because Jesus said, no man has told you that, but you have been revealed, it's been revealed by my Father in heaven. But yet he still ain't converted. Come on, somebody. Think about this for a minute. This thing gets deep. If you, this, this walk with God is deeper than imagine. This man got a revelation from the Father in heaven, and he's still not converted? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. We're saved. So that tells me there's a difference between salvation and conversion. Because Jesus said, I prayed for you that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Conversion. His fulfillment of his conversion happened. When he come to know the Son, he come to know the Father come to know the Father, he received the Comforter. And when the Comforter fell in Acts chapter 2, it filled him up with the Holy Ghost. And when he walked down the road at that point, the Bible said he'd be walking down the road and his shadow would pass over people and heal them. What I like to tell folks is Peter, after his conversion, was so much of a different man that back in the day when he was transfigured on the mountain of transfiguration, when he was all this, he was still a man that was about to deny the Son of God three times. But when he got filled with the Holy Ghost, his shadow walked around with more anointing than the old Peter did. The shadow was healing people. The Bible said Peter would, would put anoint the one would pray over towels, send it home with people. And when folks would walk through their front door with a towel, amen, that had been anointed by Peter, that it would heal them and it would cast devils out of their house. Imagine walking through your house with a towel and devils are just jumping out the window to get away because of the anointing you're carrying on an old rag. The rags. But aren't you glad that when the Holy Ghost comes to you, he'll put his anointing on a filthy rag and he will knock out devils, he will knock out disease, he will knock out sickness, and he will create an army, he will create a church, he will create a kingdom of people that will walk in his spirit, that will walk in his righteousness. Why is the church bowing to so many things? I'm telling you, let me tell you why this is so important that you stand this morning. I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever been more passionate about a series than I am about this one. But why is there so many factions in the church? There's more than one answer. But regardless of the answer, we got to fix it. Why are there so many people that have the revolving door ministries? What is the revolving door ministry? I'm in, I'm saved, I'm on fire, I'm getting offended, I'm tired, I'm out. The revolving door ministry. I'm on saved, I'm fire, oh, the devil sifted me, I can't take it, I'm leaving with my trash. 
because the sifting process is what shakes the seed. It, in other words, the enemy had the right to come in and shake and jolt and slam and roll Peter's identity all through the tray because he believed if I could shake him enough, he'll fall through with the trash. But Jesus prayed. But I am so passionate about this series because the thing that Jesus preached the most, and that was the kingdom of God. There's folks out there like, well, he preached on hell more than he preached on heaven. The kingdom breath. Hell, that's why the kingdom you want to find yourself and it takes because hell is enlarging itself daily, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, it's enlarging itself with church people. The Bible says that in the day of judgment that there's going to be people that stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We've done ministries in your name. We spoke in tongues in your name. We went down to the church and paid our tithes in your name. And he's going to look down at them and he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And he's looking for the converted people. He's looking for the people that about got saved. He's looking for people that truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and that walked after that calling. But the kingdom of God is so important. And the great news is, hell, you might think you, how many ever heard that phrase, I've been going through hell lately. I don't mean that derogatory. But have you ever heard that statement? people only knew they ain't never been through hell you can think of the worst situation you can possibly imagine in your life you ain't been through hell because hell is eternally separated from God the Father with an eternal punishment where the worm never dies where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and there will be a lake of fire that burns for eternity but you gotta wait on hell gotta wait on hell. Anybody that's going to hell, they gotta wait on it. They gotta wait till that time comes. But God loves you so much he ain't gonna make you wait on heaven. He said pray this prayer, let your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. Jesus bringing the kingdom of God into the apostles even realize it. And the next thing they know, they're walking in kingdom ministry. They're walking in kingdom power. They're walking in dunamis power. That power doesn't come from the earth. It only comes from heaven. In other words, the kingdom had to be present for dunamis power to fall. If you want power to fall in a church service, you've got to get a kingdom atmosphere. You've got to get a kingdom presence. And you've got to let the king come in. one realize a kingdom don't have a president a president requests laws to be made but in a kingdom they have a king and a king when a king opens his mouth whatever comes out of his mouth becomes law he don't matter about a public opinion it don't matter politically correct it don't matter what's popular and matter of fact it definitely don't matter what the culture says we are not called to fit into culture we are called to change culture we are called to take people that walk around with earbuds in their ears all the time looking at nasty mess on their phone we are told taking be able to take them and put gospel songs in their ear and ministry on their phones and, and, and instead of dirty jokes on their phone loving jokes on their phone to preach that on a Sunday morning. It's easy to amen that on a Sunday morning. But it's going to take work because there are protocols. There are steps that have to be taken today. 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 If we don't take them today, we'll keep putting them off. We'll keep putting them off. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Bring the lights down over the people like you do for worship. I'm doing this for a purpose.
I believe there's some people under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in person or whether they're watching online. If you're watching online, don't be afraid to comment. Because I'm telling you, Peter did. But if you're here this morning or you're watching online, I, feel, I, I know there's some people. The enemy has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. He is hitting you on every corner. He is trying to affect your church life. He is trying to affect your job. He is trying moment that you gave your heart to me, that excitement you feel, that faith you got, it's not going to fail. If you'll keep your eyes on me, don't look around at the storms. Keep your eyes on me, Peter. That's why you sank last time, because you took your eyes off me. Get back up, Peter. Get you back up, Peter. It don't matter. I'm not counting how many times you fail. I'm looking at the last time you got up. Amen. That's all that matters. But the enemy is sifting you. But you're saying this morning, I'm ready to take those steps, Lord. I will pass through this time. I will pass through this season. Because I know your Bible tells me that weeping endureth for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So this is only for a season. And I'm going to pass through this problem. I'm going to pass through this trial. And when I come out the other side, I'm going to come out heavens. I'm going to bring that miracles are going to happen I am coming out of this thing believing that prodigal sons and daughters are coming home I am coming it's going to be a house of prayer I am coming out of this thing believing that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to be manifested in our services I am coming out of this thing believing that my marriage is going to be that my children are going to be healed that I'm going to have a peace I'm going to have a hope. I will not fall through the cracks. I wish somebody right now would just agree with me in prayer and just tell the devil, I will not fall through the cracks. You can shake me. You can fight me, but I will not fall through the cracks. I am a child of the living God, and I've had all I take of you, and I am putting my foot on your neck today. receiving my and I am going to abroad the kingdom of God he way Holy Spirit in this house if you're here this morning and you want to take those steps you want to take those steps and you want to get out of that sifting basket you want to take those steps because you are determined to see the kingdom of God come. You are, going to, you are determined to break the culture of church, the way church has been done. You are determined to break the culture and change it for what God can use. If you're ready to take those steps this morning, I want you to come down to these altars and stand with me. And I want you to agree with me. that We are going to put our foot on the throat of the devil and we are going to destroy every work he's ever tried. And that though he may have bruised us, though he may have bent us over, though he may have knocked us down in times, we're still here today. And that is the testimony of grace. That is the testimony of grace. And as you come to this altar this morning, I want you to believe with me that I am bold in the Lord, that I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that I will come boldly before the throne room of God to retain mercy and favor, that I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise, that I will stand in the
the courts and I will judge the tribes of Israel and I will be seated amongst the priests and I am as heir of the throne, a joint heir with Jesus Christ for I am a son of the living God, adopted by my Father. Amen. Whereby I cry, Abba, Father. Oh, have your way, Lord. Only one took the nails. Only one took the cross. Only one stood in the fire for me. Only one stood in the gap. Only one said I'd never leave you. Only one father never left me. Only one father stood by me. Only one father never walked out on me. Only one father, whatever you dealt with, your father never left you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, right now over this place, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray for boldness to befall your people. I pray that there be a hunger and a thirst that would arise. And I pray, God, that chains would be broken this morning, Lord. I pray, God, that we would walk upright knowing who we are in the Lord. And when we find ourselves hunching over from the thorn that's in our side, let us be reminded that it is in our weakness that you are made strong. Oh, God, that just because we go through weak moments in our life doesn't mean we failed. Just because we go through hard times in our life doesn't mean we're losing it. But God, these are parts of living in a sin-filled world. But God, I'm so thankful that it doesn't matter if the tide's high or low. That it doesn't matter if revival's at, at its high peak or at its all-time low. That it don't matter if it's Sunday or Monday. That it don't matter if it's preaching or singing. That it don't matter, Lord God. What it matters is that I'm in your presence Day in and day out, God. Because, Lord, when I get in your presence, I come to know the word. David said, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I pray right now for the impartation of wisdom, the impartation of knowledge. I pray, God, that just like Peter, when he was converted, he came out a preacher. He came out laying hands on people. He came out leading people to the cross of Calvary. He came out discipling people. He came out building churches. He came out walking in the faith, God. And right now, Father, the sifting process can either break us or it can compel us. And I pray right now, Father, That this walk, this fire, this trial, the situations, the series that's ahead, Lord, we know the enemy's going to come to sift the knowledge of this series. Lord God, and I pray right now for a hunger so passionate and so strong, God, that the enemy cannot find a seat at the table to try to take away the knowledge and the bread of life as he has sown. But Lord, right now, as men and women of God, we stand in agreement. And we want your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, Father. Let your will be done on earth as it is. Lord, you gave us keys to the kingdom. But God, we have stood around for so long with keys we don't know how to use because we don't know how to bring the kingdom. But Lord, you are giving us the understanding now. You are bringing us into wisdom and knowledge of the kingdom, God. And we are about to see an unraveling of your spirit. Many of us are feeling like Lazarus coming out of the tomb, wrapped in death clothes. And we're just waiting for the words of Jesus to be spoken. Remove his death clothes. Remove his death clothes, God. There are conversions that are about to happen in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed. We're all going to agree in prayer.